I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. It was one year ago today that the last American soldier left Afghanistan after 20 years of war. We've been looking back at various stages of the pullout, uh, the impact of a 20-year war in Afghanistan. But we also want to take a look at, as we move forward, what are the lessons that we should be taking with us? How should that inform what we continue to do in that region of the world as well as other places around the world? And so I want to go back to a couple of conversations that we've had uh, because they, they are conversations that got me thinking and hopefully got you thinking and hopefully got our leaders thinking in terms of where we are and what comes next. It's so easy in the chase and pace of our society today that we, we just kind of keep going to next. It's always next. It's always next. And sometimes we need to go back and just kind of reflect and say, wow, this, this was an important principle. Did we really get that? Are we really applying that? Do we really understand that? Are we implementing policy around that principle that makes a difference? So I want to go back to a couple of conversations as we look at Afghanistan 20 years later. Uh, we had a conversation with World Trade Center Utah President Miles Hansen, who really understands that area of the world in a unique and powerful way, having been there and served there. Uh, as we talked with Miles Hansen, he said that moving forward, the United States needs to be much more realistic and much more focused about its objectives anytime we're working abroad. It's so important for us to be very clear about what we're trying to accomplish and then ensuring that what we are committing ourselves to accomplish are things that we have the power and the capabilities to accomplish. And if we can scope ourselves like that, then I think we'll put ourselves in a position where we're less likely to get overextended with objectives that are high and lofty and that we all can feel good about, but perhaps our our power and capabilities are not sufficient to unilaterally accomplish those But I just think that in Afghanistan, we got way too aspirational. We got out uh, trying to accomplish things that we we didn't have the ability to to do. And therefore, at the end of the day, we we ended up failing and and not not only not accomplishing those those objectives that were measurable and attainable. um, But in fact, in a lot of ways, the country's reverting back to to the way it was before we began our war there. So it's always important for us in any foreign policy uh, we love the aspirational. We want to make sure that we're helping and nurturing freedom around the world, fostering that. But there's that difference between the aspirational and the doable. And a lot of that has to do with a very clear strategy and a, and a set of tactics. Uh, we always talk about hope. We, we do hope uh, for freedom and for uh, democracies and for entrepreneurs and for upward mobility. Uh, we hope for all of that for the people all around the world, not just in Afghanistan and a host of other places. And we have to remember that while hope is important in all of that, hope is not a strategy. And I think what Miles was suggesting to us is as we look at the world, yes, we will always be aspirational as Americans. And yes, we will always believe that we can do more and become more and help others to become more. And that's important. And 
we have to have a strategy that is equally robust as our aspirational goals might be. Uh, one other question that we talked to Miles Hansen about from World Trade Center Utah was our enemies. Because the messages that we send and obviously the messages that were sent in the aftermath of the withdrawal from Afghanistan, again, the last soldier, American soldier, left exactly a year ago today, we always have to remember that both our allies are watching so they know if they can trust us, and our enemies are watching to know if they can exploit us. Shortly after the you know the tragic events in Afghanistan in August of 2021, you saw Vladimir Putin start into motion these troop buildups on Ukraine. They, they, they built some troops up. They took them back. They, they, they started building up again. And, of course, we all know what happened there. And then we've all watched over the past few weeks as China has really ratcheted up its uh, threats and posturing against Taiwan really in historic ways. And yeah. so we see that when uh, weakness invites aggression, and unfortunately that's what we've seen over the past 12 months, and there's no question in my mind that our, our enemies, they're, they're watching. They're watching our competence. They're watching our resolve. As we continue that look back, we also looked in Afghanistan of the role of women, uh, where they are now one year after the withdrawal of American troops there. If you missed it yesterday, we had Surakshi Ray uh, from The Hill uh, told us about where things really are, what's going on in that particular space. And this is one that's really important to me. I, I think this may be uh, the the biggest letdown in terms of people trusting America, uh, and it's the women of Afghanistan. You know, women of Afghanistan aren't giving up. Uh, the, the number of women I've spoken to who have launched Zoom schools under underground networks, they've really come together. You know, they're still protesting in the face of the Taliban. About 40 women uh, took to the streets of Kabul last week to protest against the harsh Taliban policies. They're demanding their right to go to school because the Taliban has banned girls, you know, from going to secondary school. And they really come together online to form the sense of community where they're still resisting the Taliban, which is really sort of frustrating them. You know, they've taken to social media with inventive hashtags like banned Taliban travel to really express to the international community that, you know, this is our voice and this is what we want. Uh, I've been inspired by the women of Afghanistan throughout uh, all of this, uh, the progress they made so rapidly. Uh, we talked with Sirakshi about the fact that almost a third of the uh, the government were positions held by women, uh, that they were running businesses and launching businesses and they were in school and the, and the numbers were just astounding in terms of that progress. Uh, and now to see that back under the Taliban uh, where they can't go to school, they can't go to work, they can't go out in public uh, without a man there uh, is all just a tragedy uh, that goes way beyond uh, just controlling geography. And I still believe, I still firmly believe that it will be the women of Afghanistan that ultimately win the day. And it may take a long time, uh, but they will because they've tasted it and they've led and they've seen their influence. Uh, as we talked with uh, Sarakshi Ray yesterday, uh, she went on to say that these women, um, they want they want more opportunities. They want to be able to to do things. Sometimes that's taking asylum. Sometimes that's staying there. Sometimes that's partnering with international groups. 
but again, that's another area where the United States uh, either has to step up uh, and step in or partner with others to make sure that can actually happen. A significant portion of the Afghan women were employed by foreign organizations, and they were tasked with very sensitive jobs, such as running safe houses for victims of domestic violence or serving as legal advisors for victims of gender-based violence. And under the Taliban regime, these institutions no longer exist, and the women who ran these facilities are at most risk because the Taliban is now, in a sense, looking for them. Um, And, you know, despite the fact that these roles were often very risky, the women who did the work haven't really been given any sort of visa or referral pathways. And many of these women have been detained and some tortured by Taliban authorities on the ground. So they really want more avenues for women to maybe seek asylum. Uh, Again, I think the future of Afghanistan will have a very female face to it, and they will be the ones that uh, fan those flames of freedom They're doing it right now in underground schools. Uh, They're doing it in very creative ways through Zoom uh, and a host of other things online. And they're the ones we need to make sure as a country, again, as we talk about these important principles that we believe in, uh, that we have to make sure that we are standing up for those. And yes, things don't always go as planned, but there are some principles that we truly do believe in that are actually part of this thing we've been talking about, the heart and soul Uh, of the nation and what that is and what that means. Uh, Secretary of Defense today uh, put out a memo uh, marking this day and and talking about those who had sacrificed much, many American women and American men uh, who put on the uniform and were there in Afghanistan over the the course of the last 20 years. And it's important that uh, we continue to honor and keep those promises to those that served both from the United States and those that were our partners there in Afghanistan. There's still a lot of work to do, a long road ahead, uh, but the future of freedom still looks bright as long as we continue to lead. All right, we'll step aside. Hour number one in the books on Inside Sources. Stay with us. Hour number two coming up after Top of the Hour News. KSL FM Midvale. KSL Salt Lake City. Listen on any smart speaker and in your car at 102.7 FM. KSL News Radio, Utah's all day companion for news. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.